G'day and welcome to the 17X podcast series. My name is Mick Hayes. Thanks for tuning in. I have the absolute pleasure of chatting with entrepreneurs, visionaries, and absolute change makers on how they're using their business as a force for good in the world. We align these conversations with the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the UN's global goals for the 2030 agenda that we simply must achieve. And it's my firm belief that our business community is our best shot at success. If you're inspired by these conversations, you'll absolutely love our 17X speaking events that tour Australian cities. Jump over to our website, 17sdg.com, that's 17 the word, to find out when our events are coming to a city near you. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show, and don't forget to subscribe where you are listening to stay up to date with our future episodes. All right, Ashley, welcome to the show. Yay, thanks for having me. Yeah, look, really cool to connect as we're just chatting. Um, so uh, before we get into it, I was doing a little bit of research into your profile uh, and getting up to speed with um, with you again this morning uh, through your website, LinkedIn and all that. Um, so your, your CV is pretty impressive uh, and there seems to be a lot of accolades and results, but I, I just love the fact that you finish on gardening. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually so good. Yes, yes, I do. I think... Gardening is like one of life's greatest teachers. So many good lessons out of out of that. You know, I a lot of people know parts of my story, and certainly my LinkedIn profile will have all of the accolades. Yeah. You know, but I was I left school when I was in year five, and my mum gave me Alan Searle's gardening book, and that taught me pretty much everything I needed to know. Wow. I, I never. I only went back to university as a mature age student, so I went to uni when I was twenty one. Yep. The first time I had no qualifications, I couldn't get into university. I had to do a free tertiary preparation pathway, a free six-week intensive course to get a, like a credential score to get you know yep. an application into an undergrad degree. But, yeah, I think gardening was my underpinning philosophy for life and the academic experience was more of the teaching me that I could open many doors, you know, if I put my mind to it. And it also well, taught me that there were a lot more doors in the world than I realised. I kind of just thought... My dad was a plumber. He was a tradie. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and then became an aged care nurse. And so I kind of only seen the more traditional roles like teachers, you know, yeah. you, know you know, healthcare workers. But I didn't realize there was, science, you know, scientists that were working on environmental health and disciplines and carbon and biodiversity and protecting forests. Like I was just like an eye-opening mm. set of experiences for me. I kind of, yeah, I was a little bit sheltered growing up on a rural property and farm. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of diversity for that. It uh, that that uh, really gives me hope because I actually just spent the weekend with my six-year-old son building him a garden. <laughs> <laughs> so when I read that and I hear you say that, I'm like, yes, I'm on the right track as a dad. Well, you'll reap what you'll reap what you sow. Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I guess you kind of started to go down the track, but before we get into choreo and what you do professionally, can you just give us, uh, I guess, a two three minute origin story how did you get from where you were to where you are now well I've always been a really passionate individual I mean very introverted so I'm much more of an observer of the world and of people and I learn you know through that and but I I love the natural world I grew up on a rural farm as I just mentioned and I just I knew I wanted to do more to take care of it because I appreciated it I had a gratitude for all the small things and all the large and the beautiful interrelationships between between the natural world and ourselves. And But I kind of lost my way and got involved in lots of bad things as a teenager. But, 
you know, I'm not, I'm very grateful for all of those experiences, the negative and the positive, because it's made me who I am today. But I think now, how did I get ultimately where I am? I never lost my sense of, you know, value for what the world provides us and the, the, the privilege of that. And then, uh, you know, my life now, you know, if I was saying what my purpose is, it's to, to be of contribution to the greater good. So I, I really ask myself every day, how can I better serve, you know, this beautiful place we call home? And for me, that was, you know, doing a degree in environmental health science, learning about the natural world and its, you know, relationship with our health and, and by, you know, and vice versa. And then I, I started to work in the protection of the natural environment. You know, I worked in Indonesia, working on deforestation from palm oil cultivation. But I was like, well, that's not really the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. And the problem is our economy, which is built on this growth philosophy. We need to sell more and more product. To create that product, we need to extract more and more finite resources and destroy more habitats and environments and deplete our biodiversity, all for the sake of this, you know, very small set of metrics like financial wealth. And I was like, well, I need to really work on the problem, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not the symptoms if I'm intent on doing fulfilling my purpose. Yeah. So I, I stopped treating symptoms and I started working on the problem. And I started by doing it for free with my sister on One City Street, which was really saying, you know, this economy is not working. Is there a different way to do it? And for me, that was trying to understand better this concept of a circular economy, which is much more regenerative and restorative. And it has a couple of key principles. And so I was like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to spend my time doing that. No one was going to pay us because no one really understood the value of it. And there were certainly no tangible examples at a systems level, like a street, a region, a policy. Yeah. So we were like, okay, two brave women, let's just give it a crack because we, you know, we grew up on a farm. We're pretty resilient, we're pretty resourceful. And, you know, we did and we had a very successful experiment. There was a lot of stuff that went wrong, but that's also part of success, right? So, yeah. you know, we we did that experiment and then fast forward four years, I mean, we we've been able to tell our story transparently and it's resonated with people, people that sit inside very large companies who also want to try to do things differently because they, they realize the way we've been doing things isn't going to sustain us in the longer term. Mm -hmm. And they want to be about creating value, not just financial wealth. So. Yeah. Awesome. Been an adventure. Um, so you mentioned before that you left school at the age of five. Does that mean you were homeschooled? I guess technically. Yeah. What you well, Alan Searle's gardening book. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But what is it about? Because you're maybe the third or fourth guest I've had that was, yeah, I guess homeschooled in a way is the word. Um, but also country kids, right? There's what's what's yeah. the go with homeschooled country kids resilience? What do you yeah. think it is? Uh, I really do think there's a connection to the nature. I mean, it, it teaches you a lot, you know, and the dependence upon it. You 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 get you gain a deep respect for it. And you need to learn how to, you know, live with it, not, you know, go against and just extract from it. And I meet so many people now as a professional and I just know automatically if they were, they were from the bush. Yeah. <laughs> you do. I mean, there's a sense of values that are carried from that experience. And I, look, I lived in Indonesia, which is in Jakarta, which is their most populous capital city. And I, one of the things I really struggle with is that, they, you know, that you lose a sense of self yeah. sense of place in the in the earth what you know and i i just think we need to allow people to to go back to our to nature a little bit more i think it's very restorative for us mentally yeah. and I, it's also just having the time and space to reflect on your own being and 
I think when you're out in the country and there's not a lot else out there except for nature, it's kind of, yeah. you know, you're, you're allowed to, to sit with your thoughts. I mean, we live in such a noisy world now with so much coming in on different social platforms, different, you know, media, family, friends, professional life. It's just saturated. Mm. And I think if we, whether you're raised out there or you allow yourself time to just get out into nature, it's a very, very healthy thing to do and it'll probably allow you to be healthier within yourself but also healthier in any contribution you want to make professionally, personally, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, I think nature's where it's at. Yeah, it was. <laughs> is where it's at. Yeah. And I guess yeah, you didn't do it by halves instead of the culture shock going from the bush to Jakarta, like one of the most populous <laughs> places on earth how did you deal with that <laughs> i didn't deal with it. i didn't deal with it well i didn't like Especially as a <laughs> self-proclaimed introvert <laughs> no i was i was uh i was really confronted by it. but i love diversity and i love yeah. you know these different i like trying to again as more of an introvert sit in an experience imagine what my worldview might be if i you know grew up in that setting and you know a forest or an experience you know in nature might be a more of an Instagrammable shot than, you know, an appreciation. It's a moment oh. versus a, an understanding. And so I kind of really appreciated the perspective that someone that grew up in Jakarta might have, you know, and, but I didn't do well. I knew it wasn't healthy for me to stay there for any length of time. Yeah. And so I actually asked the company that I was working for an NGO at the time that I wanted to go live in the rural part of Jakarta and central Java in a small you know, community um, called mm. Salatiga and, you know, very, very what we would might class as a, you know, very low income area of a country, you know, they earn, you know, average $2 a day, but I loved it. It was so really, I don't know how to describe, very traditional and cultural practices. I loved going to the traditional market. You know, the animals are killed in front of you. Like yeah. it's, it, has a, it is as real as the experience should ultimately be. We're so far removed from our consumption, mm. our supply chains, our materials, our natural environment. This was just such a, I appreciated it for its rawness, you know, the, the smells, yeah. the, the noises. The, <laughs> but I, so I left Jakarta and went there. And, but, I, but again, I advocated for that because I knew where I would be best placed. And if yeah. anyone's out there and they're like kind of not, feeling the where they are in that moment i mean it affects their ability to be productive for a company or for the, mm -hmm. the purpose they're serving and i you've got to really advocate for where you know you're best placed yeah yeah, yeah. awesome so um circular economy what is it give us the <laughs> give us the you know is it let's let's kind of uh educate educate us uh that it's not just buying recycled stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no it's definitely not. what is it what's what's this circular economy all about so the way i like to talk to people about it one i think a lot of us don't really understand the economy that we're in today and so i like to first kind of just quickly unpack that so what we would describe our economy and how it's structured is very linear you know we take resources we make them into a product which we design to break because we want you to buy more and more of them to stimulate that economic growth and then because we make them to break, we end up with a lot of waste. But also, like, the important thing to think about here is when you especially think about the Australian economy, when we make things to break, we make them at mass scale, you know, we have to start looking at, you know, where is it cheapest to manufacture the most amount of goods? 
So that's why Australia's lost its manufacturing base because we've offshored that to Asia. But there's not as many regulations or barriers to entry for operators or manufacturers. We've also got this implication of modern slavery now because of that reason too. And then we've got all these resources that we consume to make these mass amounts of products, which has then contributed to global warming, masses of amounts of pollution. So we've got an economy that's really extractive and very polluting. And in every sense of the word, it's extracting capital. It's converting our human capital into financial wealth and also our natural capital into financial wealth. But in doing that, it's very damaging to our environment. And it's also not actually getting the greatest value out of our resources. So the circular economy really challenges that model, but through a value generating lens where we say we want to actually have a really robust, resilient economy that benefits environment and society. And I know people are like, well, that's the dream. You know, how do we actually get there? And so it's not, it's an economic model, but it presents us not with just like one answer, one way of doing things. It actually says there's a set of possibilities here for different organizations and governments to participate more meaningfully in an economy, not just from an extractive transactional way. So it's got three principles, and this is what I encourage everyone to come back to. design out waste and pollution everybody gets hung up on you know let's design with the waste once you know once we've got it the point of the whole circular economy is to design it out in the first place because that's just bad business you shouldn't be manufacturing a product that has like 90 percent of it being wasted or ending up entirely as waste at some point after maybe you know on average i think it's six months you know every product we consume is ended up as waste so the first one, let's, let's design waste out of, and pollution out of our economy. The second is keeping products and materials at their highest value for as long as possible. So this is where we can start to, in line with this principle, get really creative about new business models. You know, how do we actually build a, a, an asset or product to last a long time and actually maybe not sell it but lease it, put it on a service-based model where we sell its performance, not the actual product itself. Now think about, I mean, a good example here is we are now streaming our content, mm-hmm. you know, Netflix, Stan, you know, Apple's music, whereas we used to have a very product-centric and materialistic um, good, which was a CD, a DVD, you know, and it was like maybe 20 bucks to buy one of those things. Now it's kind of fundamentally changed, a lower yep. price point, a different business model, less materials being used, no waste really being generated. And so that that principle really says to us, how do we keep products and materials at that high value, but really think about the new commercial strategy to do that, allow greater access, but design out that waste and pollution in doing so, you know, and allow for this material not to, you know, end up with no value attributed Mm -hmm. to it. Third one is how do we regenerate the natural system? Because we've gone well past the point of doing less bad as a global society. We actually now need to do a whole lot of good. And the way I like to really unpack this last one is people are like, okay, so we're in a linear economy. It's really extractive. We take more than we ever give back. Now, when people go, oh, sustainability, that's really like a one-to-one ratio where it's like, okay, we'll take one thing and then we'll put one thing back. We're sustainable ultimately. But we know we can't actually just remain there now. We've actually taken so much from our natural environment that we're at a tipping point and it's not a good one. We need to be actually really regenerative and restorative to our natural, you know, ecological systems and our economy. So the circular economy by design is really trying to restore and regenerate 
those natural systems. So it's going that step further. And they're, they're the three principles, you know, and if you're a business owner, convert them into questions. How can we design out waste and pollution? How can mm-hmm. we keep product and material at its highest value? And how can we regenerate the natural system? And fundamentally, you'll head in the right direction if you keep asking yourself those yeah. questions. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's an economic model underpinned by three key principles. Yeah, I love it. And I love that you finished with asking questions, you know, at, solutions focused around what if we did things this way how would it look and what would happen yeah rather than oh it's too hard or i'm just a small business i can't really do much um you know get it but yeah what if that's really cool and i you know uh terrific to i guess simplified into just those three pillars Mm -hmm. i I would assume that walking into a you know a, a gig of yours with choreo and and consulting in this space um, mm. being able to, I guess, uh, make it a circular economy a bit more accessible using yeah. simplified pillars like that would would make, I guess, the uh, the barrier to entry a little bit uh, a little bit less from the get go. Yeah, I think the biggest you know barrier is people's first of all understanding. You know, we seek to to provide organizations that we work with in governments, you know, and the ability to answer three questions. What is the circular economy? Because let's be honest, the rhetoric is all about recycling, (laughs) (laughs) which is problematic. Two, you know, what value could it provide to their business, to their team, to their shareholders, the communities in which they operate? And then the third one, which is the one that comes up a lot right now because people are kind of getting the concept of a circular economy, which is Mm -hmm. where and how do we start? You know, if you're a mining company, and you're operating in eight countries, and you have fifty thousand employees, and you know, di- you know, eight different commodities you're producing: aluminium, copper, iron ore. You know, and that, and then we're talking millions of tons. You know, you'd be like, okay, how do we actually shift from a very extractive, linear orientated business to one that's circular at its core or aligned to that purpose? You know, and that's really what we try to support organizations to do. What is it? What value? And where and how do we start? And, yeah. it, and to do that, we have to build relationships centered on trust because there's not, again, an answer. There's a set of possibilities with how they can realize circularity. And we have to talk in real terms and very simplified language, not because people don't have the capability to understand complexity. They absolutely do. But when you're learning something for the first time, we need to create a safe space in which people are brave enough to talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, and to say they don't know because we're also, you know, in a society where we're it's very egocentric, where we think we have to have all the answers. Yeah. And we don't. But the problem is people say that they do and then they've stopped asking questions. Mm. And we've become, you know, so isolated and siloed in our own, you know, echo chamber that we're, that we're just listening to ourselves and, and not really hearing anything else. And that's yeah, sure. A, that's a problem, yeah. And, you know, that's like with any information, right? It's the permission to be a bit vulnerable in the get-go and be okay with yeah. not knowing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then moving forward. Um, exactly. I just want to touch on, you just mentioned there around the rhetoric is around recycling. Um, mm-hmm. What's the challenge that you see there? Oh, because people believe it's about recycling and then we're not having a bigger conversation nor asking those questions about a new economy. Mm-hmm. Our economy is not viable in the long term or even in the short term. We're losing a huge amount of value. You know, 91% of all raw materials we extract globally 
are wasted. They're used once. Yeah, right. That's, imagine, you know, <laughs> imagine if we actually captured the value out of 91% of those. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, so I don't want us to get caught up on. I mean, we can't recycle our way into a new economy. Yeah. We can't. I mean, you recycle materials, a lot of them inherently lose value in the process. You know, mm. you'll lose a percentage, you know, of that material. So eventually you end up with none. So that's not that's not a winning narrative. It's part of a solution. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, in a circular economy, in the actual, there's a, it's called a butterfly diagram. I don't necessarily teach people about it because it's a little bit more complex. You look at it and you go, oh, I feel like I need a degree to look at that thing. <laughs> yeah. But on the outermost loop of this diagram, it's the last option is recycling. It's the last thing we should be talking about and it's the last thing we should be doing. Yeah, we right. need to prioritize other strategies. And that's what that's the more creative space. That's the more creative thinking. And that's much more aligned to the, the economic narrative we need to be having. Yep. I want people to feel empowered to start talking about a new type of economy. You know, how many times do you talk to someone where they're like, oh man, I just feel like I'm in I'm enslaved to this, you know, economy. It's like like what you work you're making money, but just to pay bills. Yeah. It's it's this cyclical yeah, yeah, sure. thing. People don't feel like they have control nor are empowered to make change. And I think that's the saddest part of it all is that, you know, we I want people to feel like they matter, whether you're a tiny, small business or you're, you know, you're, you know, massive monopoly company. You know, you all matter and we need to be having a better conversation about the economy that we want to have. This one's not working. It's 300 years old. I mean, yeah. the world changed. Yeah. We all changed. We know better now. Let's do better. Yeah. I know. I love it. Um, I like that you touch on, you know, I guess there's a little bit of kind of mental health in, in there. Oh, for what sure. What you were just talking about, you know, people matter. We we need to attach to a purpose and and uh, we're a bit bigger than just paying our bills. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. What do you see when you work with teams? Like you see a real cultural shift when you start to insert this, this kind of learning and get them thinking about the bigger picture? Yeah. I see fundamental changes in people's well-being mm-hmm. not no word of a lie i mean we have people often cry i mean in in despair about their experience the the guilt or the shame that they're carrying for working in coal or mm-hmm. i mean there's different types of coal met coal and thermal and yeah. but you know like just it's really this is human we're we're the economy is not separate to us you know and we are partake, participating in it, although people feel separate from it and they feel again disempowered they feel like they don't matter they feel like they're in service or in, enslaved you know to that type yeah. of model and they get so i think our economy is directly damaging our environment but it's directly damaging people and their their well-being and i think what we're seeing play out with the level of stress we're the most indebted outside of switzerland you know citizens in the world in here in australia in terms of we are mortgaged to the hilt we drive two large you know suvs <laughs> on our beautifully bitumened roads you know because geez they're bumpy you need an suv for that but uh, you know it could be a personal choice what you drive but what i'm saying is we're so in debt and materialistic and that that being in so indebted just makes a huge amount of stress within families. Yeah, sure. You know, and people stay in a job that they may not be happy in for probably far too long, which affects that company's productivity and value, but also their own integrity gets compromised. You know, and eventually people will, will reach a tipping point where they'll quit. 
mm. you know, might chart a new career, you know, but that they'll carry this, this guilt and shame about the loss of time, you know, and their contribution. They so desperately want to make it back up. You know, so what I see when I work with companies, a lot of them will, you know, really open up and disclose that they've, you know, they want to leave. They're not sure if they can stay anymore in the job that they're doing, but they feel like this is the first time maybe they're aligning more to their integrity as a person, more of their values, and they get yeah. excited. And then it becomes infectious. And you kind of see, you might enter into a business through, you know, a development manager, you know, an executive, a head of sustainability, a head of corporate strategy. And then what you find is you've got like a one person, then it's two, and then it's four, and then it's 15, and it's 30. It's a boardroom. It's the entire business. Yeah. And that's, that is the magic. That's the beautiful part where people feel like, hey, mm. this is where I want to be. This is aligned to what I stand for and my values. And then, then you've got critical mass and you've got change, yeah. real change. I think um, staying change. <laughs> some of, I'm just thinking like some of what you're talking about there in relation to people, you know, lifestyle, life choices, mental health, you know, satisfaction mm. and pride. Even you, you yeah. could you could just about pick up those three pillars of the circular economy and plonk them into you know maybe some kind of circular humanity and look at how do we actually <laughs> yeah. live our lives? Because when you talk yeah. about we go to work, we pay our bills, and you know that's that's very linear in its own kind of right, right? Correct. Um, yeah. Oh, it's that's fascinating just- to hear. Um, yeah. It's so, it's a, you know, it, it really is a worldview. It's a philosophy about how we want to live. Mm. It, it does come to that. And, yeah, it might all sound a bit fluffy, but really sit here and try to unpack it. I mean, in, and I do this on a daily basis, and I'm. it's not just this economic model that enhances recycling. It's so much yep. bigger than that. So what do, you, what do you say to the coal miners and the, you know, the, the guys and girls out there that are in those kind of big industries that, you know, let's be honest, historically are really been part of the problem, just not not because they set out to be a problem, but it's just the way that the economy's gone, as you've said. Uh, you know, that, oh, Ashley, she's just a tree-hugging hippie and doesn't understand, <laughs> you know, doesn't know the big picture. Like how do yeah. it, because, you know, the world's very divisive, right? You talk about social media and all the noise out there. It's very easy to get misinformation. And then it's it's kind of you're on one side of the fence or the other. How do we how do we get everyone, you know, inside the It's fence, a funny thing, know, like I I work with some I work with our largest mining companies in the world. Yeah. I work with a metallurgical coal team. So Met Coal supports it's one of the material inputs to making steel, iron ore being the other one. They're two of our largest export commodities here in Australia, so largest contributors to our gross domestic product GDP. When I'm talking, I'm not, when I've sat in a room, a boardroom with only one woman and the whole executive and CEO are a men for one mm. of our large met coal mining companies, it was such a fruitful conversation and dialogue. It was not a discussion which is much more like, you know, throwing ideas at each other and, you know, yeah. this fence that sits in the middle. It's not like that. If you have go in there and have a, a real conversation about wanting to create positive outcomes with them, mm. you know, that I've not ever had an encounter where someone's told me that the linear economy is going to sustain them or is it long-term, you know, viable for their business. And if it's not viable for their business, they won't have a job. Sure. They won't be able to contribute and take care of their families, put the kids through school, all of that stuff. So, it's never come up as a, you know, it's a circular or a linear mm. or it's a me against them or I'm a tree-hugging hippie and they're yeah. all about business productivity. Never happened. Yeah, wow. Ever. 
ever. What I hear is uh, a much more human narrative about we want to make a change, but we don't know how. We can see the changes in the, over here in the market. But I've got, you know, 30,000 guys or, and women, I should say, you know, working in this business. How do we find a pathway forward? We have also for our company, we have market demand assured for 25 years. We have enough coal in the ground for 50, you know, but we've got external pressures over here. So everything's a mixture of, yeah. you know, signals to say keep going and signals to say there's change coming and then a whole lot of hate and divisiveness. Yeah. You know, and for me, I come in with a, just a pure integrity to try to help facilitate a conversation. Mm-hmm. And I do that by listening first and foremost so I can build trust with people, so I understand what the experience is of the person driving the truck that's, you know, hauling the coal to the person that runs the mine site, to the person that runs the business, mm. and then collectively say, actually, I think this is where you could start because you've got to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, these businesses can't switch off. And I think the biggest thing that we probably need to appreciate here in Australia, but more broadly, is that these industries, you know, they're underpinned by people, but they've also contributed more to our economies and we can't separate ourselves from them. We need to pay respect to their contribution at the time when it was provided, but also acknowledge now that when we know better, we can do better and we have better technologies, we can implement those technologies. But there is a a transitional period that needs to happen. And you've got to remember these are big businesses and entire communities are supported by them mm. that have their own kids. Like put yourself in that, in that position and really think about how would we do this? Ask the fundamental, like how do we take those steps? And what I'm trying to do is help them take those steps. I'm not advocating that we keep continuing to say mine thermal coal, but what I'm saying is, I respect the fact that that can turn on our lights in this country and many other countries for many years that provided us lots of ability to grow and become a prosperous nation. I respect that, but we know better now and we can do better now. I'm listening and learning and I want to go on a journey with you to doing, achieving that value, the new value that you could create and you can be part of it rather than going in there with a divisive sort of view on that they're not good, you're bad and I'm great. You know, and th- that's my view. And I just, what I found though is it's allowed me to have very meaningful conversations and achieve real outcomes. Yeah, I find that really, um, really uh, kind of inspiring that that you're not being met with friction in those conversations. That's, that makes me feel good. <laughs> that makes me feel really good that those big guys and, and girls in those big companies are, are ready for the combo. And I like that. Yep. That there's also acceptance there that these are big businesses. They are massive, you know, they are massive economies in their own right almost and they yeah. are supporting communities and they can't change in, in three months. You know, this is a long-term yeah. project that has to happen and it starts with conversation. That's so cool. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think just appreciating that and appreciating mm-hmm. the scale of it and yeah, what you, what you would do if you were faced just, yeah, I think if we can try to put ourselves in, in those people's shoes and, and yep. start with listening and, you know, not, we, gosh, we've got a lot of hate in this country for the different <laughs> sides. Do that <laughs> and I don't even know where it comes from because I've sat in the boardrooms <laughs> and I don't know who's, I don't know who's, I don't know who's spinning it. Where's you know, the I really, hate? Yeah, actually, yeah. A, a friend of mine yeah. who, he's a coal miner, he's been a career coal miner, and uh, he was telling me he was on a flight from, 
somewhere to somewhere in Australia, I can't remember where, but mm. he was sitting next to an environmental scientist. And, and the guy's like, oh, what do you do for work? He said, oh, well, I'm this. And he said, oh, well, you're going to enjoy me because I'm a coal miner. <laughs> but he said they had a really cool conversation for the entire yeah. flight. They did not shut up and they just talked and, and listened and, you know, that's obviously where it started. And that's what we need more of, yeah. a lot more of. Oh, and I, yeah, I just think that's the way we need to take this forward and, mm. you know, the what we have here in Australia is not not working for an either either whatever view you hold you know, we need to be respectful that people will hold maybe a different one. But what a privilege would it be if you were able to share some perspective with someone, yeah. bring your values and your view and, you know, maybe it changed their mind and maybe they, you know, will start a conversation internally about what you taught them, you know, and that's what we need because that's, again, that's how you infiltrate. Yeah, you know, yeah I love it. Absolutely yeah, love anyway. it. <laughs> no, it's, I mean, we could, we could, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Um, so choreo. Yeah. Now, no doubt we, we've just had, you know, half an hour of what Corio does. But uh, what's the oversight? I've got your website here. It's a flash-looking website, by the way. It's cool. We're about to possibly our fifth website in four years. I'm about to <laughs> start do a new one. Because <laughs> yeah. we're learning all the time. And, I, yeah. you know, I we yeah we started a business with no one's permission and no experience in running one. And, you know, you learn things along the way. That's and the you learn how to, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so we're, we're kind of reinvigorating ourselves again, which is which is beautiful. But yeah. Anyway, so thank you for the compliment. I saw this um, this really cool <laughs> meme the other day. It was the entrepreneur's journey. It was someone jumping off a cliff and building the plane on the way down. Yeah. So, yeah, no, unreal. <laughs> um, so you've got a few services and stuff that you work with here. So Corio is a small team? Yes, yeah, seven women. Seven women? Yeah. No boys? No boys. No boys. Bell's <laughs> Club. We, right. we did have a guy, but, you know, and someone asked me today, I was like, was that? like intentional and I was like well I we hire people on the basis of their energy and their values token token guy you didn't have a token guy (laughs) (laughs) but I but I will say I'm a massive like I'm just a big supporter of women and their getting into leadership roles I think we we need to you know create some equality there and is that your sister in in there with you or is you guys are co-founders yep yep how's family run business love it Love I love family businesses, yeah. Cool. Jenny and I, uh, yeah, you know, obviously sisters from it through our family, but we're, you know, best friends by choice and we love running our company together. She's nice. my, yeah, total opposite, yin and yang. Really? Extrovert, you know, okay. blondie with the blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, who's the older? She you, is. She's the old one, righto. Yeah. And you, only by a year, yeah. Okay, cool. But you're both homeschooled, right? She Did she come out of no, school? No, she, well? went, she went to school. We had, like... You couldn't imagine two different, you know, more different walks of life. Yeah, right. I mean, we're totally different experiences in life, both from a young age. Obviously, we had the same family, but, yeah, yeah Jenny cool. did it amazingly well academically, gifted kid, you know, very sociable, whereas I was, like, totally recluse, not, didn't do well. <laughs> academically, got involved in all the wrong things. Love you know, it. She was, like, the, she was the angel. And so you've got like you went the life experience and she went the, uh, the <laughs> she did it later. <laughs> yeah, no, she, I, I think every everybody has their journeys, right? They're up and down. Yeah, life is full of the ebbs and flows. And anyway, I I did mine all mine early, and she she took a, that path later on. <laughs> Very cool. So tell us what does Corey do in a nutshell? So we advise and guide industry and government through both aspirations for circular economy as well as actual implementation. Uh-huh. Like our 
we started from action on that a pilot project on that city street I mentioned earlier. Yeah. And so we're a very action-orientated business. I mean, I think we we got a bit confused about what action was many years ago. You know, we we're like, we'll write a strategy and we'll do a report and yeah. we're done. You know, but like a strategy is only good as the action that follows it. So for uh-huh. me, that's where we really like to invest our time and effort. So we work, we're industry agnostics. We work in all key economic sectors. So uh-huh. we work in mining. We work in property and development. We work in ag. We work in tourism, uh-huh. education, the full gamut. And because, I mean, if you're talking about the economy, it's uh, you can be talking to anyone about it because we're all participating in it. So, yeah, we, yeah we're very privileged to work across so many different industries. Cool. So many different types of companies on so many different types of products and materials. And so um, I'm just looking through your website here. So anyone listening, corio.com.au, the link will be in the uh, the uh, notes on the podcast episode. Uh, so obviously you're doing the consultant stuff where you, you go in and ask the questions, have the conversations, but then it also looks like you got some workshop-based stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah we teach we teach masterclasses on circuit economy, again, okay, because cool. I think that just empowers people to understand you know, really what it is and then, you know, gets them applying that concept, actually thinking in a different way, kind of starting to shift the way they view the world and their role in it. And uh-huh. so the masterclasses are a really, you know, amazing platform for people to, to build their capability and then, yeah, cool. you know, go on and do great things inside their companies. Yeah. That. And so your giant test to kick this thing off on uh was it 2017 it looks like yeah they're out where it all began we've got here the circular experiment you said a lot of yeah. things went right and a lot of things went wrong this is probably my last question for you uh <laughs> what what was the biggest learning out of that and what was the biggest stuff up um <laughs> uh, yeah good question <laughs> uh biggest learning out of that oh my gosh i think janie and i as two sisters working for free learned I would say to listen to each other, yeah. listen to the businesses, not go in there with a projection because, oh, God, you learn hard and fast when you knock on a small business owner's door and you say, hi, I'm here to do circular experiment. And they're like, what are you talking about? I've got a customer. Yeah, sure. You need to, at that point, shut up and listen, you know, and say, hey, I'm really interested in working on the street to support businesses. You know, what's your challenge? You know, and sit down and let them tell you. Yeah. And then you, with the capability you have around circularity, understand how you can help, you know, and then get out there and do it. Don't tell them, do it. Show them, you know. And so that's what we did. And I think for both of us, it was learning to listen to each other. We never worked together before. I've never done anything like this before. Jenny's a remote area nurse by trade, you know. So she's like, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about, you know. But anyway, so I think listening was the, the biggest learning and it's, served us very well since to, to yeah. practice that it sounds so easy to do it's actually not it's a really yeah, yeah. good skill yeah um and then i think the biggest <laughs> oh god oh there was many <laughs> but maybe i i yeah probably building something that was redundant you know which was we built a it was called coast coast share it was a platform for businesses to share their unwanted goods or, you know, they yep. bought an excess amount of plates, you know, for a business that was doing catering. You know, we spent all this time building it and then we're like, we, you know, we got our blinkers on. We were so isolated in our thinking. And then yep. it was like, 
Facebook Marketplace does an equally brilliant job. It's <laughs> <laughs> like you morons. Can we you do better than that? Hit. Yeah, exactly. So I think um, yeah, just stuff like that. Yeah, eBay. Hello. <laughs> exactly, and I think it was just sometimes you get so obsessed with your your solution, your yeah. idea that you 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 do get blinkered. Mm. And so I think that was just a that was like a a pivotal lesson in in thinking systemically looking at the system, leveraging parts of a system to get better outcomes. And if you're going yeah. against the grain of a linear economy, you need to get creative because mm-hmm. it is profit generating, but profit generating at all costs. Mm. You know, so if you want to create profit and value to environment and society, well, then you've got to be pretty smart about how you design for those outcomes. And so yep. that was a, just a pivotal point in thinking more systemically mm-hmm. and leveraging a system better. Yeah, sure. Yeah lesson um so look uh we're pretty much coming to the end of our time uh my last question for you is uh so the last episode that just aired on this podcast was a panel discussion with some really great speakers um and we talked about lessons from 2020 uh, and i thought it'd be really interesting to get your perspective on that question is you know last year was very interesting for us as a global community um as well as here in australia um you know whilst Certainly it was devastating uh, and a lot of people, mm. you know, lost their lives and, and family members and jobs and all sorts. Um, I tried to look at, okay, how can we look at 2020 as it, as it was and what lessons can we take from it uh, to perhaps do things better or do things different uh, as we move yeah. forward? Uh, was there anything that comes up for you in, in looking back at 2020 and in the year that was and go, okay, there's there's a real key. Like for me, something that, that came out of it, just to give you context, was um, permission to slow down and be present, kind of like what you talk mm-hmm. about going out to the bush. You know, the, yeah. the whole lockdown thing forced me and my family mm-hmm. just to slow, slow down, you know. Yeah. I played a lot more board games and card games with my kids during lockdown than what I kind of normally would have in, in, you know, being, I guess, busy all the time. So it gave me permission to slow down and just kind of, sink into yeah. life a little bit you know um, and that reflected into business and, and home life in in all sorts of ways but yeah is there anything in 2020 that kind of stands out for you that we can take away yeah two th- two key things that's you know along the lines of what you just shared which was because of because i care about the people i work with not necessarily the companies and you know their logo yeah i really it was so beautiful to be let into people's homes to meet their children, to watch dads plaiting their daughter's hair on the computer in a meeting and just, you know, just because it's so much more meaningful when you meet them in their in their space and yeah. see their family if, you know, if they were willing to share it. And I just thought it allowed people to, one, share more of who they were and, what, you know, their family, but also allowed us to have greater acceptance. I'm a mom. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old bub and, you know, I there was times, you know, I wanted to, I had to breastfeed and I had to turn my camera, you know, all of these things like where it's very, you didn't want to show anything and you wanted your baby to be quiet and you wanted to act like you had all of it together. And I just thought it was so much more accepting when we could actually just allow kids to scream in the background and (laughs) just, you know, (laughs) my son runs in here sometimes in my room when I'm working and I, you know, I, I love it now and I'll just throw his little face up and be like, "Eh." yeah. Land and run off. But I think the other one was, and it's I find this these such powerful moments, you know, when I when it 
COVID started first breaking out and I was watching what was happening, you know, in, in New York and in Italy and and I was watching my own, a lot of my family are healthcare workers, nurses, like frontline workers, and I just thought the unifying humanity that can happen, you know, when people would clap the healthcare workers going home. I don't know if you've ever watched these on the whole city will go quiet and they applaud them all. Yeah. And I just find that just so emotive and beautiful that we are all connected and we can really get behind one another and support one another. And I think COVID one allowed us to have greater acceptance of each other in our entirety, as well as really try to support one another, you know, and and acknowledge that we can actually try to be empathetic and, and really care for our fellow citizens and I think that was really special for me. I, I think COVID had a lot of silver lining and obviously mm. a lot of a lot of cost as well and loss, but um yep. a lot of silver linings. Yeah, a bit of humanity came out, yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, thank it. goodness. <laughs> yeah. It's about time. Yeah. Um well listen, Ashley, it's been really, really cool to chat. Um and I feel that uh, I could I could spend days um unpacking circular economy with you and, and really learning more about it. Um, I've, I've taken some notes here and uh, I love those three questions. I'm continually going to ask myself those from the get-go mm. and look at how we can do things differently. Um, uh, you know, congratulations and thank you for the work that you do and the convincing conversations that you are having with some really powerful people in the world. Uh, and I think the, uh, the legacy of change that you're going to create through those conversations is obviously going to be uh, affected for many years to come so i really appreciate you for taking the time to have a chat with me today um i know you're very busy uh, if, people, <laughs> if people want to connect with you what's the best way if they hear what you're doing uh, right i have to i have to yeah. get out how do we do this where's the place? reach out on linkedin i'm we're very active on there we always have been we want to empower people by just sharing what we're up to and cool. ask questions we want to stimulate a healthy dialogue too like if you don't if you're like, hey, why are you doing it that way? You could do it differently. I love that. I welcome a constructive dialogue. So, yeah, please follow me on LinkedIn yep. um, and reach out. You know, if it's going to be linked, that would be fantastic. Direct message me. I'm, yeah, I really have to take that. And, of course, you know, from there we can, you know, have meetings. People can email. Excellent. Sweet. So uh, anyone listening that does want to get in touch, you can look down in the notes. We'll have uh, Ashley's LinkedIn uh, profile link mm-hmm. right there as, lo- as well as your website. Um, so that people can reach out from there. But uh, thanks again for your time. It's been a really cool chat. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks again for tuning in. My name is Mick Hayes. Be sure to jump onto our website, 17sdg.com, to stay up to date with our 17x speaking events that tour Australian cities. We'll be coming back to a city near you sometime in 2021. But for now, make sure you do subscribe wherever you are listening to stay up to date with our future podcast episodes. But for now, get out there, get inspired, get aligned with the global goals, become a part of the 2030 agenda and use your business as a force for good in the world.